Perspective. I'm Chris. I'm Andrew. On this episode, we're going to be talking to the Flint, Michigan serial killer who was dubbed the 44 caliber killer, Ronnie Johns. Andrew. Yes. Ronnie Johns is a serial killer from Flint, Michigan. He was convicted of murdering three people. So the first murder was on June 22nd, 1991, and that was an unidentified white male. He also murdered 14-year-old Demetrius Rawls and 38-year-old Lucille Bowie. And all these murders were drug-related. And he was convicted of not only the three homicides, but assault with intent to commit murder. And that was on a baby. He was also convicted of other petty charges, controlled substance possession, a couple armed robberies, armed robbery conspiracy, possession of firearm during a commission of a felony. Yeah, I think all in all right now in prison, he has something like 11 convictions on him. Yeah. And I believe, yeah, he has two life sentences plus 60 years plus 50 or so more years. So yeah. And he's got like thirties here and there. And <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the first victim, there's not really much known about the first victim. We just couldn't find that much. And the, the second two victims, Demetrius Rawls and Lucille Bowie, they were in a, in a drug house in a dope house selling crack out of the house and they went up in there, killed both of them. And Lucille Bowie's baby got a graze wound from one of the gunshots. So, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy case. He was 18-year-old serial killer at the time, basically murdering drug dealers and robbing them. But, yeah, he does say in the interview that this stuff is he, – he says a couple things that aren't in his court papers and, and that nobody knows about, which is – pretty crazy yeah it's pretty it, wild. It, was, it was chilling hearing him say nobody knows about this other than the people who were in that house that night he's like this is not in court papers or anything hearing somebody say that is is like oh man what is he about to say yeah definitely there, there's a few other things he said too that made me get boost goosebumps that we'll talk about afterwards yeah crazy so let's go ahead and get to the interview with ronnie johns criminal perspective will return shortly One of the undisputed tools for having great mental health is therapy. I recommend therapy to everybody. I go to therapy myself. I love it. I encourage it. It's not just for improving your mental health, but like my therapist says, preventative maintenance, keeping it going. If things are going good, keep it going good. There's a place where you can get a therapist and you don't have to leave your house. That place is betterhelp.com and they can connect you with a licensed professional therapist in a safe and private online environment. It's very convenient for you and you can start communicating within 24 hours. I always have friends telling me that not everybody can afford therapy. Well, betterhelp.com is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Another great thing about betterhelp.com is there's a broad range of expertise available which may not be locally available in many areas, including licensed professionals who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem, and it goes on and on. So check out betterhelp.com. Anything you share is confidential. It's convenient. They're professional. It is affordable. There's no reason for you not to. I want you to start living a healthier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash criminal perspective. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash criminal perspective. Department of Corrections, 
Let's talk about your childhood and what it was like growing up for you. When did you start not only using drugs, but basically burglarizing and robbing people? Even though they was Christians and they raised me, 
I went my own way when I got in 11th grade. That's when everything really started. When I hit the 11th grade, when I dropped out. By the time I dropped out, I was full time on the street. You know, selling dope through rental cars, rent cars, and dropping the dope off over at uh, whoever wanted it. And this was in 91, keep in mind, so I had to go page And so they had to page me. And I drop off whatever they want, you know, seven gram, quarter ounce, whatever the customers wanted. I dropped it off through uh, a rental car. I always kept a rental car. And I was delivering it through that. The, the, the murders and the crazy shit didn't start till the same year, 91. Because I was snorting the coke. Selling crack was snorting coke. Selling crack and weed was snorting coke. So one day my little gangbanging buddy started snorting coke. We didn't know that was going to become a habit that's going to eat into the profit of what we selling. And so after I started the, uh, the cocaine thing, and we were just doing it on the regular. We never thought it was going to make us do all this crazy shit. But um, I can remember back in 91 when I started snorting coke. After that, that just made me feel like I was on top of the world. But I just was losing profit in the crack game. I wasn't smoking the crack. I, that was for the customer. The coke was my choice. Cocaine and the marijuana. So with the coke, I don't know. When I think back on it in retrospect, because I'll be thinking now that I'm clear-headed and I'm older, and be 29 years later, I'll be thinking back on what made me do all that. You know, it was like it was a different person. And the person I am now, after all these years of maturing in prison, I look back on the line of 91, and it was like, I don't know what made me do all that. So I was trying to figure out what made me do what I what I did. So, but I had plenty of time here to think about it. The coke kind of made me numb to a bunch of things, and all I wanted was just money and power. And it, it kind of just uh, it, it, when it became a habit, it became a habit, and we started robbing other drug dealers just to support our habit. We still selling crack on the side. We to rob all the, uh, the, we call them the powder house. They sell uh, powder, cocaine. But we're just robbing all these other big time drug dealers that we don't know. You know, we stake out they stake out their houses, and we know we rob them. And the robbery sometimes led to the murders because some of the drug dealers are so big time that you you knew when you went in there to rob them that you would have to kill them because they know everybody in the hood, they know who's who. And we look gang, we look gang members. Remember, I'm 18 at the time. And so, if you finna rob a big time drug dealer who got connections all throughout the city, our mentality was we gotta kill them. Cause if we don't, that's like signing our own gun certificate. Cause they either gonna, if they do in my neighborhood, if you rob the wrong drug dealer, somebody who got a lot of clientele, they will come and not only kill you, but they'll shoot your whole house up, kill your mama or your daddy. They'll make an example out of you. So, and we were robbing guys who were like that. So we knew, we, we knew before we went in the house, well, we got to kill them. So we're like, well, we let's not rob them if we don't plan on killing them. They don't get drug dealers anyway. Just like us, we're just going to rob them, we'll take the dope, the money, and we got to kill them to save our own ass. Because we don't, they sure going to come through and kill us and our family. So and that's what we did. We robbed these guys who we knew were big time and they had connections. And they weren't playing, so we went in there and got the dope money and we killed them. And at the time, we didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't care for them at the time, because at the time, I'm, I'm gone on this cocaine and 
like I said, I was numb to everything. I just was looking for the money in the pound. I didn't care for the other drug dealers unless I knew them, unless they was part of our little game. If they weren't part of our game, you saw them as, you know, like the bloods of the crib. We see you as any, you ain't part of this. You're not a crib, you're a blood. Okay, we see you as competition and you're an enemy. So we just gonna take what you got and build it to what we got. So that was my mentality. And that's when, uh, after the coke, the coke made me just, it made me care less. I didn't understand that. Value of a human life, the coke made me look at a, a, another drug dealer like, if he got more than what I got, I want to take what he got. If I get away with it. At the time, me and my buddies, I never thought we would get caught in that they would test him out. I'm thinking, okay, who cares about his life? Ain't nobody gonna know what we did. We're gonna take their dope money and we're gonna kill him. And that we kind of got into doing it more than once and then again and, and it just got out of control from there. You got and I was out of control at the time. At the time I thought it was uh what you would say he we call it too far gone. You know, at the time I was just I was out of control so that's what started the the the, 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 the murder spree. So I just wanted to give you as much uh, as much as I can, you know, you say start back from the beginning. And, um, and from the, like I say, from the very beginning, well, really, I always wanted to tell my story. I didn't want people to remember me as no animal or a monster, uh, which I was at the time, which I was. And I look back on who I used to be. I, yeah, that's what I was at the time. So um, I was lucky I didn't get killed by some other drug dealer or gang member or something. I think coming to prison, it's safe because they wouldn't have caught me. Or my uh with my gang bang your buddies with the uh turn space evidence against me. I probably would have continued my love spree, the killing spree or whatever, because I, I was I was after the power, the fame. I, I, I thought that was the only way to get it. Well that's the only way I knew how to get it. You know, I I just thought, hey, you kill and get away with it. You know, I, that's the only way I know how to get it. I didn't know uh, you know, like some people where I think, and when I think back on what I did, and I said, man, I've been just better off going to things that they were just about the money. You know, I had a, you know, a better chance on, but being that we were young, dumb, and we just neighborhood gangbangers, we thought it was easier just to, you know, hit the drug dealers, because we didn't think police would think nothing about, you know, they drug dealers. And we drug dealers, so we think the police is gonna sweep this under the rug, you know. You know, you young niggas killing niggas, so who cares? That was our mentality, so that we didn't think we would ever get caught. And the murder started in July, I think, 1991. And they, they caught us in like October. Cause I'll never forget the day I got locked up. It was October 22nd, if I'm mistaken, 1991. So I could never forget that day. And looking back on it, it probably was the best thing that happened for me. Because people might not believe it, but it saved me pretty, saved a lot of people's lives. They don't even, they don't realize it. So I knew if they would have never caught me, I probably would have continued doing what I'm doing to drug dealers though. To drug dealers. The only ones I was targeting, you know, like the FBI or the DEA. When they uh, scope scope out the drug dealers, you know, they watch down the street. They scope in the house, out watching every move. Cause 
Right. So sometime in between the murders, unfortunately, there was a sleeping 18-month-old baby that was shut in the buttocks. How did that come about? Got shot. At first, my first person was 
they hyping that up. So y'all was in there with me, ain't nobody shooting that thing. The baby was crying. Because it was 10 months old, and the mama was a cracking, because this was a dope house. And now the lady did put the baby in front of the gun. This is what don't nobody know about. Don't nobody know about this, but the guys who in the house with me. And they can bear witness to that. And you find one of my co-defendants, and they in there with me. They still locked up in here with me, two of them. They would tell you, the lady, she was a crackhead, because the drug dealers we came to get really wasn't there. But she was renting her house out to these big time drug dealers and let them sell all this dope out the house. So she grabbed the baby. We got the gun pointed out. And put the baby in front of the gun as a shield. That made me angry. I'm already uh, tooted up on cocaine. And I'm a little drunk too. But I'm like, for her to put this, this child in front of this gun, like the child gonna shield you. That baby want to kill her even more. I had my mind made up I was going to kill her anyway. But no kid. Uh, yeah, I don't do the kid. No kid under no circumstance. I'm not going to shoot and kill no innocent little baby. No kid. So that would need to be a thought in my head to do something to the little kid. And we didn't even know the little baby was in there too. He went in there. The baby started crying. So, but anyway, she picked him up. He was on the couch, I remember. She put him in front of the gun. I'm trying to say, I had to snap the baby out of me. I got the gun in my right hand with my left hand. I snapped the baby because I'm trying to protect him. I don't want the baby to get caught up in no crossfire. So I'm like, give me the baby, give me the baby, give me the baby. She's like, no, 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 no. She used her own baby as a shield. I'm really angry, like, I'm going to cure this for real. I'm going to kill you anyway, but now you're going to just make me. You know, so I snatched the baby. I set him down on the couch. I remember that. Then I shot twice. And the second one was the chief did about it with the first shot, but the second one was for just putting that baby in front of the gun. I didn't like that. And then the, the guy got shot twice. And the court papers are confirmed and verified what I'm telling So when I the baby was crying when we got the body. But before I shot her, the guy had already gave us all the money to dope. And see this is another thing. We could have walked out of here. Looking back on it in retrospect, we could have walked out of there and left him alive. But I'm so angry that this lady would put this baby in front of the gun, hold him in front of the gun on the shield, because she didn't want me to get hurt. I'm trying to grab her, she put the baby in between me and her, and let the gun pointed at her. Like, Cody, she got the baby, it's the legs, dangling, he got diapers on. I'm like, this lady crazy. And I'm the one supposed to be crazy. But it made me just do what I did to her, even worse. But when I left out of there, I know I remember, I remember when I shot her, she fell on the baby. The first shot made her fall on the baby. She was dead because this was a 44. But I fired another one out of anger that you put this child in front of the gun. And that's the one I think the guy in the courtroom testified, whatever they call the guy who testified, the bullet went through the floor and they found it in the basement. That's how problem the 44 They say it went through her neck or whatever. The second one, I believe, went through her, hit the bank on the butt out, went through that couch they was on, went through the floor, and they found the, the projectile, whatever they call it, in the basement. Now, the next day, when I see this on the news, I said, man, that's bullshit. I mean, y'all was in there. I said, I ain't shooting no little kids. And so we thinking, okay, they just hyping that up for the public. They get the pub- public in an emotional uproar. They just like, we got to get these guys, they monsters, they 
and he tried to kill a little kid. So, speeding up to the trial, when I go to the trial, I find out more because they have the, uh, the guy who testified how the bullets go in and how it come out. I think they call it the pathologist, whatever they call it. So, I'm like, damn, baby, really did get a grade. Thank God it was a grade. And this is how they know in the courtroom when my court appointed lawyer was defending me. He said, if my, if my client wants to shoot, maybe kill him. The baby looked dead because it was a 10 month old. A 44 would have blew that little baby. This little baby had diapers on. And even me in my fucked up state of mind, I did not want to see that happen to those kids. And believe it or not, when they give me the two life sentence for the guy and the girl, which I'm guilty of, I take full responsibility now. And I'm, uh, let me tell you this part too, which don't they, uh, the court don't know. Uh, so I'm giving you information that wasn't even mentioned in the court. The police didn't even know that one of my co-defendants, um, what's his name? His name was Winkle. His real name, James, uh, is it James? James Lewis, one of my co-defendants. All this is in court papers. As far as the names, you can get the names. The Freedom of Information Act court documents. You can verify everything. I'm telling you, I got the transcripts in there. So, what the people don't know, and this wasn't public information, only the people who were in that house that went in there with me know this. Uh, James Lewis, who testified against me, who turned what we call snitch, he was in the house with me. He watched me do all that. He participated. He took half the over the money when we split He used to work in the house for a drug dealer named Q. That's who we came to get, the big guy. Because he'll come over to the house to collect the money to dope from the little guy, Demetrius Ross, who I shot. And he'll get a real, he'll drop off another package. So they had the 50 year old in there selling the dope. The lady was a crackhead. He was paying her to use her house. He just rent her house. Now, what the public don't know, but you're hearing it straight from the horse's mouth. James Lewis, a.k.a. Winkle, a guy I grew up with, through his whole family who turned informant just to save his ass, he didn't do a day, not a day in jail, because he turned state witness. They say he was a juvenile at the time, and the state of Michigan, if you under 18, you considered a juvenile. Got to have a parent present. Uh, unfortunately for me, I was 18, so they charged me as a daughter to, you know, bury me under the prison, give me life, 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 30, 60, for the, come on, he tried to kill the, the baby and all that. They knew something went wrong on the little baby because it was a grave into the butt. Thank God. That's what I see him when I found out on the news the next day. I said, damn, thank God that bullet didn't kill the baby. I never even pointed the gun at the baby, but I thought back on it. That first shot made the lady fall on the baby. The second shot was out of anger that you put that little child in front of his gun. So I just wanted to make sure she was dead. And I didn't know that bullet had to go through her. They, they admitted that because they found the bullet in the baby. It, it nicked the baby butt out. So when I left about that house, she was on top of the baby. He was still crying. I remember hearing the baby crying when we opened, we all ran about it. So the baby was still alive. Uh, this was an apartment house. Like, it was a downstairs apartment, upstairs. The people that lived upstairs heard the baby crying for so long, went down there to check on the baby and see two dead bodies and called the police. Now, prior to this, I already had murder. Uh, my first murder was in uh, June, July. A white guy, this was a drug related to So I'm, I already did one murder. Police oh, still looking for the guy who did this murder. That was the first one. The one with the baby and the two guys in the house, that was like my second uh, criminal activity. So keep in mind, I didn't know nothing about this house on Grand Traffic Street. Winkle, come get me. And if 
you're about under the team, brother. He said, look, man, I know a lick when you hit when you hit a big score. And they know at the time, I'm, you know, I'm a cheating. I got love for y'all. We in the hood. We just trying to get up out the hood, get rich quick. Buy any means necessary. So I said, well, what is this lick? He don't want to tell us about this, this house. I said, I'm Grand Transit Street. Okay, we all on the north side. We all GD. I said, okay, we're going to try. So what we did, and don't nobody else know about this, we uh we, we rented a crack fame car. They have like three twenty on crack, three twenty on crack lot. We take the car and drive out on Grand Traffic Street. Grand Traffic Street, excuse me. We spoke this house out. Winko, my co-defendant, he's in the court document. They don't get him a day in jail. Winko, the one came and got me, showed me the house. Me, Winko, Avery Secure, he's my co-defendant, Alicia Wilson. So we want to drive out there, scope the house out. I said, okay, that's the house. Okay, we park down the street from the house like the police do when they want to raid. We watch traffic coming and going, coming and going. We know, okay, yeah, they, they moving in there. So I said, around, well, Winkle used to work in the house with a guy named Kilton. I said, okay, well, damn. So this is an inside job, really. That's the information the public don't know. That didn't come out in court. I think he admitted it when he got on stand and testified against to save his own ass. I think he admitted it that uh, he used to work in there for the... Uh, Guy, some guy named Q. We don't know who Q is, but he was supposed to be a big time drug dealer from Detroit, uh, coming to Flint and got this, this one of his house. So, we go, this is what, so ironic, my co-defendant, the one planned all this. I'm just coming along because they knew, I, they knew I had the heart and the love for them. Wherever they come to get me to do, I'm gonna come do it with them. Especially if it's a big score, like he said. So we go say, I said, you used to work in here? He's like, yeah. We come up with a wrong bed, the bedrooms in the back, this area, that, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I said, okay. So we watched the house for like three, four days, probably longer. We tried out there, just scoping it out. But people never thought, like, well, how did y'all even get up on this house? What led y'all to the house? My co-defendant was working in there before Demetrius Ross, the one I shot. We go was one of the little uh, sellers for this guy named Q. So he telling us, hey man, dude, big time. So we, we can ride on big but we're going to have to kill him because he got a lot of clientele in Detroit. Yeah, and we're going to have to kill him. We can't leave him and leave him alive. But he's going to find out big. And that's your ass and your family. That type of guy. I said, okay, I ain't worried about that. We just want the money. We don't know him. We don't care about him. The easy part is killing him. That was easy. I didn't care about him because I didn't know him. But Winkle was working in that house about thank you for about a month. Now he coming to get me, my other co-defendants, and we could be conspiring to rush this house. And we knew we had to kill. So I said, okay, cool, because we got, you know, inside information. Winkle know he's been in the house. Winkle the only one that's been in the house. None of my co-defendants ever been in this house. I've never been in this house. I've never even been out here on Grand Traffic Street. So the night we're going to do it, we do it even real August. Uh, this is how they got us. Uh, one of my co-defendants them was robbing the gas station after we did this to the dope house. They just went crazy. The, the cocaine had them because I guess they were just, you know, now they started to do really dumb, dumb, dumb shit. I wasn't with them on this unrelated crime. They got caught robbing the gas station. Unrelated crime. I wasn't even with them. And made a deal because they robbed the gas station right in the area where the murders happened in this dope house. So the police say, what are the chances y'all know something about this murder that happened? Uh, right in the vicinity, uh, over y'all around the gas station. And they was like, if y'all tell us about these murders, we'll try to you. I'll rob you the gas station. 
and one of the co-defendants got to thinking about an unrelated charge. I wasn't even there with them on that. And told them about the murders that blew the case wide open. Because for two months, they had it on Crime Stoppers. It's all on the newspaper. And it's on the TV news. They trying to find out who killed these two motherfuckers in this house. They shot a baby, too. We got to get them on the street. So that's what blew the case open. These dummies went and robbed the gas station, which I didn't know nothing about. I wasn't even there. And they got caught. And they were thinking, I was just thinking back on it now. Like, if y'all kept your mouth shut, I'd rather y'all could have a plea bargain. Why would y'all tell them about a double homicide that should You have one minute remaining. And they were, they were involved in the double homicide. So, you know, if I go down as a shooter, they're going to take y'all with me because y'all come with a sentence. They just wanted to bury me under the prison because at that time I've been convicted of three. And they're looking at me like, yeah, you was a uh, serial killer. You was a drug dealer too. But keep this in mind. I was out on bond. But no, I got caught up in the, one of my own dope houses. When they put them little signs up outside, they laundered in the drug area. They ain't supposed to be laundered, so we was uh, selling dope. And one of the houses uh, in my neighborhood, and the, the, the vice ran up on us, undercover narc, and caught us in the house. You know, just took us to jail, and uh, I bonded out. You know, they, they took us to jail for being in the dope house. I think they found some rock or crack or whatever that we were selling. This was the crack house. So I was out on bond before I caught all these uh, murders. The murder, all this happened when I was out on bond for the dope case I had pending, which I pled guilty to. After all the murders, they dragged me through one child after another. All the other stuff, I said so many people used the gun that was in my little crew. And there's just a lot of stuff on the gun that the gun did that I wasn't even there. You right. Know, my little buddies to do the derived people, you know, but they put it all on me because they figured it's their mentality. Well, look, they figured this nigga here, you killed, we believe you killed four. Because the gun got another body on it. I didn't do no fourth guy. They, they, they came to, um, they came to see me. 93, 94, I'm already in prison. Questioned me about this unsolved murder. And they, I was like, well, y'all already got me for three. Only got one life. I mean, don't you think if I had to get the fourth one, I might as well just go on and since I'm being responsible now, I'm mature now, I might as well just go on and confess everything. Y'all got 29 years out of my life. So, uh, and they don't need for me to deny that now. So they wanted me to tell them, well, we know for a fact, this is our ticket fact, because they pulled a bullet, bullet after the, uh, the fourth victim. Y'all became from the same God I used. That's what they're telling me. I said, okay, well, I'm on the God of so many of my little GD brothers. Well, they, they was coming to see me in prison, trying to close another case, the fourth one. The, the gun got four bodies on me. I confessed to the three like I just confessed to you. You know, I didn't confess in court at the time because I was young and I was upset that my, uh, my so-called gangbanger buddies was turning informant. So I wasn't going to confess. But shit, they not confessed to everything they did because there's some stuff they did that they didn't confess to. But these murders, who want to go to prison for life? But y'all done ran through the neighborhood, tear off neighborhood with my gun. Y'all done robbed people the petty crimes and shit, like they did the gas station robbery. Uh, they done stuck up other truck dealers, didn't kill them, but took all their dope and juries. And they done did a lot of stuff. They the same guy that took the bottle me. So be, besides the murders and the attempted murder you're convicted of, are there any other crimes that you're responsible for that you aren't convicted of? Well, let me see. Let me see. I'm, um, I'm 
many people I don't remember that uh, I made before the murder. But I'm thinking, yeah, I done, uh, man, I done, what, about one, two, maybe three robberies, three armed robberies. Well, along the lines of any other homicides, are you responsible for any other homicides that detectives don't know about? That was our interview with Michigan serial killer Ronnie Johns. Andrew, what did you think about the interview with Ronnie Johns? I honestly think that this is one of my favorite ones yet. I say that every single week, but I really mean that this time. You do change your mind on that quite a bit. I do. I really do. So there's a almost everything that I found was interesting. He had a good upbringing. He had five siblings. He was the youngest, and he grew up in a middle-class family. As he, as he pointed out, you know, he wasn't blaming anything on his parents. He had a good upbringing. And he's, he mentioned as he grew older, he was attracted to the street life, selling drugs, getting the respect, the woman, nice cars and clothes. And so I think from there on out, he just developed a, an addiction to the street life on top of doing cocaine and selling crack at the same time fast life and big money yep yeah sounds like he got hooked on it and that was fueling him to kill people and keep killing people so he shot lucille bowie and demetrius rawls in a a dope house where they were selling crack out of they robbed them they're saying they had to shoot these people out of necessity or else it would if it came around that they were the ones who were doing this these people would get other people on the streets to go get them and it would be a big fucking thing. And basically they just, they didn't want to get caught for one reason or another. They didn't want to get caught by the streets. They didn't want to get caught by the cops. So they were killing these people to avoid that from happening. That was their whole purpose. But he does say that when Lucille put the baby in front of the gun, as he claimed that pissed him off and that caused him to shoot her again out of anger. So he does act violently when he's angry. So that makes me wonder how much of this did he want to do this? How much of, uh, he, he didn't have to kill these people. He chose to kill these people. Was it out of necessity completely or did he enjoy killing people? Do you, do you feel that he would have kept killing and killing and killing had he not been caught? Or do you think he eventually would have stopped? Yeah, I think he would have kept killing. And he, he even mentions that too. He, uh, he says, he said he was, he, this is his quote. He, he said, I'm glad I was, I'm glad I was caught. I would have kept killing. The best thing that could have happened to me was being arrested. I think he was glad. I think he was glad that he was caught for that reason, for, for the sake of others. But as far as, I, I, I don't know, man, because it doesn't, it doesn't sound like he wants to be in prison or stay in prison. So who who knows if that's genuine? I think that's genuine to the sense of he's feeding his ego, saying, you know, I'm the, I'm bad as fuck. I'm glad I got caught because I'd fuck the whole world up. I think he's saying it more for that. You can hear that and distinguish it in the interview. I mean, it's it's there in the sense of I had concern, I had compassion for others. No, it was a good thing for others, as in, I I wasn't gonna stop hurting people. I'm a bad motherfucker. Fuck other people. That's basically what he's saying. He's basically saying fuck everybody, <laughs> like, in his own little clever way. So I don't know if these people that we talk to, if some of them are aware of this stuff. I, I, I don't want to say that we see through it or we can read between the lines or we I'm put this out there like we have some special superpower. This is just some logical shit. It's logical to me that I picked up on. I think he feels worse that he's in prison. 
It's crazy. It's it's not that he didn't want to get caught so he could get away with what he did. It's he didn't want to get caught so he could keep fucking doing it. That's what's crazy about that. That's the, I guess, the compulsive side or maybe it's impulsive. Um, but yeah, that's it's it's not that he wanted to escape this and get away from it and just oh, I want to move on with my life and just not be in prison. No, is I want to keep fucking killing people and taking their stuff. So this dude's pretty heartless, man. I, I mean, he he doesn't come off that way, but you'd be hard pressed to find a more dangerous individual if you're just to let him roam free on the streets, you know. But uh, yeah, that was our interview with Ronnie Johns. Thank you for listening. Head over to patreon.com slash criminal perspective and check us out over there. And thank you. Andrew, last words. Rest in peace, little Richard. Woo-hoo-hoo.